Well, there's no question about it how influential Jesus is in our world. Uh, you, you think about the, the many governments, the many nations that, that have depended on his words. Uh, he is the most quoted person that has ever lived. Jesus has, with billions of followers, 2,000 years after he walked this planet, there's, there's just no question at all that he has been the most influential person the world has ever known. Yet we still hear the question often, who was Jesus really? Jesus has been the subject of, of Time magazine multiple times. Similarly, uh, Newsweek, Life magazine, a National Geographic. He was once even the, the, the cover topic of popular mechanics. But the question that each of these has asked is, who is Jesus Really? It's a, it's a super important question because who you believe Jesus to be will determine what you do with him. If you ask who was Jesus, you're not the first to ask it. Um, certainly Time Magazine wasn't the first to ask it. Modern scholarship and the modern historians weren't the first to ask who is Jesus. You're, you're not alone in that. It, it actually goes all the way back to the very first people who knew Jesus. They were asking, who, who is this? We have evidence of, of this in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to spend some time there this morning, so I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, uh, get those open to Mark chapter 3, or find that in your Bible app, or if you're at home, open up a new tab. Um, but let's spend some time in the Word together this morning, Mark chapter 3. In Mark 3, large crowds were, were following Jesus. People were coming from all over the place, traveling for days even to Find him. He even asked his, his disciples to get a boat prepared there by the lake so that if, uh, if he needed some personal space, he could get in the boat and just row out a little bit and speak to the crowds. It says in verse 10, For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Jesus was setting up his kingdom. He was kind of giving earth just a little glimpse of heaven. He was giving us a little idea of, of what restoration will eventually look like when all is made right, when there will be no more disease or sickness, when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Jesus demonstrated the power over sickness and de death, over the wind and the waves. He even demonstrated his power over Satan himself. Even the demons recognized his authority. Look at verse 11. We, we see there, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Who was Jesus? Well, some believed that he was divine. Crowds surrounded him. 
Many were touching him, and he touched many people. But it's interesting that it was the impure spirits that were driven out that could testify with the greatest authority of who this was. It was clear. He's the perfect likeness of the Father. He lived his life according to the will of the Father. And only God himself could could have the authority to drive demons out anyway. The impure spirits knew who he was. Jesus was divine. Some believed he was divine, but not everyone did. The crowds that followed Jesus were so thick that, that Jesus and his disciples couldn't even get the chance or the space to eat. We hear that in in verse 20, and then in verse 21, we have these words. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? Some believed he was out of his mind. He was deranged. The crowds weren't the only ones looking for Jesus. His family went looking for him, not because they thought he was divine, but because they believed him to be crazy. He was claiming to be God. Who does that? I mean, imagine if if your brother was claiming to be God. He may be a great guy, but he's not that good, right? God? But think about this. Who, who else was in this intervention with the brothers and sisters of Jesus? We see this a little later in the story. We'll get there. But Mary was there. The, the mother of Jesus. The one who, if anyone should believe, was the son of God, would. I mean, she, was, she, she had that experience of the angel coming to her and saying, yeah, what's going to be born in you is, is the Son of God. She had experienced this miraculous virgin delivery. But here she is. Who was Jesus? Some might have believed that he was divine, but not these, not his own family. And then we hear of of another group who came looking for Jesus. In verse 22, the teachers of the law are coming, coming from Jerusalem, traveling a long way to to find this miracle worker. And if, if, if you ask this group, the teachers of the law, who is Jesus really? They certainly weren't convinced he was divine. And, and they weren't going to be so kind as to say, oh, he's just deranged. It was more than he was out of his mind. They were convinced he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. They believed he was demonic. Who was Jesus. These insisted that that Satan was behind his miracles, that that his his miracles weren't at all a sign of God's power in him, but the power of evil and the power of Satan himself. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but be very, very, very careful 
about confusing good with evil and evil with good. There's a strong undercurrent in our culture today that is encouraging that confusion. And as long as there has been sin, there have been people who have tried to say that sin was good. Sin is still sin, okay? Sin is still evil. But what's crazy is this shows up in the church too where we confuse good with evil and evil with good. And the teachers of the law were the religious leaders of that day and they were so confused. Even those who use the name Christian today have followed the way of culture and are calling what God has labeled evil as good. And Jesus saves the harshest rebuke for this kind of thinking. Look at Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them, these teachers of the law, in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, Jesus has an impure spirit. I mean, this, is, this is pretty radical, isn't it? The teachers of the law uh, refused to acknowledge that Jesus was good to the point that it led them to completely irrational thinking. Satan driving out Satan? It was, it was complete, a complete refusal to acknowledge that Jesus was doing anything good. That is the work of Satan, isn't it? I mean, isn't the work of Satan to call that which is good evil and to call that which is evil good? I mean, that's, that's what Satanism is, isn't it? That's what satanic means. Satan knows the truth. Okay, But he refuses to bow. There is no forgiveness without bowing to Jesus. And as long as we side with Satan and don't bow to Jesus, there's no forgiveness. Who you believe Jesus to be will determine what you do with him. Those who, who insisted Jesus was demonic, what do they want to do with Jesus? They, they sought to kill him, right? If you go back to the beginning of, of Mark chapter 3, there's this miracle that Jesus performs on this man who has this shriveled hand. He restores the shriveled hand, but he does it on the Sabbath. And so there are all of these people who are so upset at him, so upset, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. 
If you're to the point of, of wanting to call evil good and good evil, you are probably at the point of wanting to kill Jesus. There are plenty today who insist evil is good and good is evil. They would prefer that Jesus and his followers just all go away altogether. And if they could, they might like to just kill Jesus off completely. Of course, you know that's been attempted, right? Jesus doesn't stay dead. And there's a reason for that. Because Jesus is divine. (laughs) He is the Son of God. You don't find anyone stronger. You can tie him up and you can plunder his house and you're still going to lose. But it's his love for you that is strong. So can I say to you this morning, don't resist him. You can try to kill him or you can try to deny that he exists so that you feel better about the sin you're living in. But I promise you that you will only be hurting yourself in doing that. Sin will not take you to the places you want to go. There is no life at the end of that road. Anybody been there? You know that? You can say an amen. There's not life at the end of that road. What about those who think Jesus was deranged? A madman, crazy. Who you, who you think Jesus is will determine what you do with him. Those who insisted he was demonic wanted to kill him. Those who insisted he was deranged sought to contain him. His family wanted to, remember, take charge of him. Maybe your thinking has, has been similar. Jesus was a great teacher. So he said some great things. If we all lived like Jesus, this world would be a lot better place. And those miracles, I mean, that was a really nice touch too. I really, you know, yeah, I really like Jesus. But that bit about him calling himself Lord, the Son of God, that's where I draw the line. That's kind of where his family was, right? What a great guy. But we've got to draw a line here. Is Jesus just a moral teacher? Or is he something more? It is a very dangerous place to to get to the point where you say, I love Jesus, but I got to draw a line. Maybe we're like his family. We like having him around as long as he stays within the boundaries that we've set for him. But if he doesn't, well, we may have to take charge of him. Those who try to put boundaries on Jesus will find themselves on the outside. Isn't that ironic? This is what we read in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will 
is my brother and sister and mother. Who you believe Jesus to be will determine what you do with him. But hear this. Who you believe Jesus to be will also determine what he does with you. And that's the truth that so many don't want to swallow these days. We want to believe that when we come to the end of the journey that Jesus will, will just invite us in. Simply because we've, we've had some association with him. But he makes it clear here. It isn't about how well you know Jesus or how close you have been associated with him in the past. Being good according to your own standards and and saying, well, you know, this may be, some call this evil, but I'll call it good. That doesn't get you in to see Jesus. It isn't about your church attendance or what other people think of you. To be a member of Christ's family, Jesus says, you got to do what God wants you to do. Isn't that what he said? Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The desire to be accepted is powerful. Do you agree with that? I I want to be accepted. There are certain things that I do simply because I don't want people to laugh at me. You do too. The the desire to be accepted is powerful. Unfortunately, some will trade the relationship with God and this God-ordained purpose that he has given to them for human acceptance. But Jesus' first priority was to the Father's will. It was never about acceptance for him. It was never about popularity for him. Even his own mother could not have a seat ahead of God's will. Wow. Mary? Ultimately, he even gave his life in order to be inside the will of God, right? Not my will, but yours be done, he said. Jesus' first priority was always doing God's will. I, I want us to hear something this morning, all right? Our families can be extremely valuable to us, and they need to be, right? Because God places us in families. God values families, amen? It's not a trick question, okay? Our families are valuable, God loves the family. Our church can be extremely important. That too is God's idea. That, you know, that's been an important piece to this sacred invitation. That iron sharpens iron, that we are created for community. But sometimes even those in the church can call evil good and good evil. The church has great value. Our families have great value. But it is being around Jesus and doing God's will that matters most. Being around Jesus. 
even when everyone on the outside thinks we're crazy, is what matters. Every one of us will have to make up our minds what we will do with Jesus. It is no one else's choice but our own. It might take some courage to stay at Jesus' feet when there are so many who don't acknowledge his authority and power. Even those that, that may want to kill him. May take some courage when they want to kill us because we're with him. What will you do with Jesus? We talked about those who insisted that he was demonic, those who insisted that he was deranged. Well, what about those who insisted that Jesus was divine? They sought to worship. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you are eager to know God's will and and have no greater desire than to follow Jesus. Or maybe you have followed him to a point, but you've drawn the line. And the boundaries you've, you've set reveal what you think about Jesus. He's a great teacher, but he's not my Lord. And it could be that, that you could and maybe would confess today that, that you've tried to kill God. For whatever reason, maybe you've tried to insist that, that God isn't real and, and you can do your own thing. You can live however you want to live. Maybe you'd like to be your own authority so that you can decide what is good and what is evil. Maybe God is opening your eyes today. Maybe he's calling you to truth. Maybe he's, 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 he's asking you to recognize again, who do you say I am? And maybe you think you've gone too far and there is no forgiveness for you. Maybe you think that you have committed the unpardonable sin. Can we talk about that for a little bit? I can't tell you how many people have come to me in tears and they say, Pastor, I think I've crossed the line. I don't think that I can because I I read this, this piece right here. I don't think that God will ever forgive me. I think that I have committed the unpardonable sin. And you know what my response is always, every single time? The very fact that you are talking that way says to me that you are open to forgiveness. The very fact that you, that you want to change, that you are ready to call evil, evil and ready to call God good is evidence that forgiveness is possible. And then I remind them of of Paul. Remember Paul who was Saul? He once believed that murdering Stephen 
in other Christians was good when it was in fact evil. If anyone had ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit, it was Saul. And yet, he was pursued by God. And he was pardoned when he confessed his sin. Consider Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus. Remember at one point in in Jesus' ministry, he turned to Peter and he gave him the, 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 the strongest words I can imagine saying to anybody in rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, that kind of sounds like, okay, are you calling good evil and evil good? Don't blaspheme what God calls good. Get behind me, Satan. But Peter confessed his sin, turned to follow Christ, went on to become the primary leader of Christ's church and gave his life for Jesus. He was forgiven. And then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And at least two of Jesus' brothers that we know about, James and Jude, both of those brothers went on to become disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ. Both wrote pieces of what we call the Word of God today. And Mary... They at one time thought he was deranged. A madman that needed to be rescued. And hopefully you haven't, haven't already forgotten the, the first people who we talked about in this passage of Mark chapter 3 who believed he was the Son of God. Remember, let me just call you back to, to that verse. Whenever the impure spirits saw Jesus, they fell down. They worshipped because... You are the Son of God. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's remarkable that when the impure spirits realized that Jesus was the Son of God, they fell down before Him and worshiped. They cried out, You're the Son of God. The Bible says that God gave Jesus a name that is above every other name, right? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and what? Under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the demons have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. As long as you reject the truth, forgiveness is not possible. But at whatever point you acknowledge that Jesus is the truth and in Him eternal life, that there is no other way to the Father except through Him, you are on the path to salvation. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come to the piano, play something. William Barclay, 
theologian this last century. He said this about this passage. So long as a man sees loveliness in Christ, so long as he hates his sin, even if he cannot leave it, even if he is in the mud and mire, he can still be forgiven. But if a man, by repeated refusal of God's guidance, has lost the ability to recognize goodness when he sees it, if he has got his moral values inverted until evil to him is good and good to him is evil, then even when he is confronted by Jesus, he is conscious of no sin. He cannot repent and therefore he can never be forgiven. That is the sin against the Holy Spirit. That is the sin. God loves you. Jesus desires to save you. Jesus said, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He wants you in his family. Let me make that clear. But you have to let go of some things to follow him. Like the acceptance of others. Your friends may unfollow you if you decide to follow Jesus. Jesus understands that. Again, in Mark chapter, thir- in Mark chapter 3, verse 19, we, we hear of his disciples that he, he names. And, and then there's Judas Iscariot. And then there's this tag. Who betrayed him? He knows how that feels. Your family might call you crazy. He knows how that feels. People might call your good evil. He knows how that feels. There may even come a day that people want to kill you for your faith. But never forget, there is one who accepts you. You're in the circle around Jesus. Can you picture that? He invites you into the inner circle. He says, yeah, be, be, be my brother, be my sister. You're my family. Jesus proclaims, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So the question is yours to answer. Who is Jesus really? And what will you do with him?